We're going to be in Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17 begins this way. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. The thing that caught my attention with this passage coming through Matthew are those words that the Father spoke, this is my beloved Son, listen to Him, hear Him. Well, we've heard this so many times, and yet, for me, Thinking about this, this 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 is my greatest need today to hear the words of Jesus. And this is the greatest need for each one of us to hear what Jesus is saying to us. This is the greatest need for our church to hear what Jesus says. Brothers and sisters, we're surrounded by so many voices and so many ideas. And at the end of the day, we're not hearing clearly. Often we're not hearing clearly what Jesus says, even though he says so many things so clearly. And it's interesting, you know, that this chapter starts out with after six days. Wow, why in the world interject that? Interject after six days. What's the relevant of the six days? Well, it connects us with the chapter that's just before it. That's how I see it. And, 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 and what took, all took place in the chapter before this is incredible. And what it reveals is incredible. I mean, in the chapter before us, we, we have Jesus warning the disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were seeking a sign. 
Uh, and it goes on into a conversation that Jesus had with the disciples. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Some say John the Baptist, other Elijah, other Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he said to them in verse 15, And he said to them, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, who is always so very often the first to speak, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, on this precious truth, I will build this church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the heaven, keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. It's interesting that they had such a clear understanding of some things, much clearer than other people. Others were seeing Jesus simply as a prophet, as a great man, and yet Peter's declaration goes far further. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a precious thing. What a precious truth that Peter and the others had embraced. These are men who had left all to follow Jesus and out of genuine motives with the exception of Judas. They really heard something. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The thing that's so amazing to me, and it's relevant to us, we'll get to that, is that we can hear certain truths that impact us in, in incredible ways, enough to make these disciples leave all and follow Jesus, and yet we can be lacking so much. You know, I was thinking about last week. Jesus called his disciples to follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Well, hadn't they done that? Yes, they'd done that. They'd forsaken all to follow Jesus. And they were going to be fishers of men and yet they didn't, they didn't really understand the, the full implications of what Jesus was saying. Jesus goes on in chapter 16 before we get to this transfiguration. And it says in verse 21, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. By this time, Peter's pretty, pretty confident Boy, God has really, Jesus really commended him. Uh, you know, he's had incredible revelation. Peter understands things, maybe better than everybody else. 
And so Peter's now has come to the very point where he's going to rebuke Jesus. Can you imagine that? And Peter took him, took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then he goes on to exhort them what it's going to mean to take up our cross and really follow Jesus. And yet, six days later, Jesus is going to take Peter, James, and John to the top of this mountain, and they're going to they're going to participate in this most glorious revelation of God. No, Jesus didn't say to Peter, "You've blown it now. Get behind me, Satan." You're on probation for at least another how many years? No, 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 no. Peter, you're going to come with me. I'm going to teach you something. Why, why did he take Peter, James, and John? I think we have to leave that with the Lord, leave that with Jesus. Why he cho chooses certain people that he's going to use in certain ways. And I think that's the answer to it. For me, that's the answer to it. Peter, Peter's going to be a spokesman. As, as much as Peter did not understand going up that mountain and coming down from that mountain, there would be a day he was going to understand and all the pieces will fit together and God is going to use Peter in a glorious way on that day of Pentecost and following. And this mountaintop experience is going to benefit Peter for, the, for his ministry for the rest of his life. Why do I say that? If if you turn quickly to Second Peter, this is this is this is the this is the last letter. This is what Peter is writing to us just before he's going to be going to glory. His life is going to come to an end. Verse sixteen of chapter one. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mount. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place in the day, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture 
comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here's Peter. At the end of his life, he goes on to, he, he tells us he's almost ready to be delivered up. And he's still reflecting on this glorious experience on that mountaintop. Why did, why did Jesus take Peter, James, and John up to that mountain? They were going to be witnesses of the very voice of the Father from heaven. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is not some ordinary prophet. This isn't a Moses or an Elijah. This is my beloved Son, and you need to hear Him. In Him we have all truth, not only pro proclaimed verbally, but lived out in perfection. Jesus lived out truth. He was the incarnate Word. He was the Word made flesh. In Hebrews, we, we have, let's turn there to Hebrews chapter 1. What does he say? That would be good. Okay. Hebrews puts it this way. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by a son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty and high having become a much, as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And he goes on to, to, to express the superiority of Jesus Christ who has spoken to us in these last days in such a way and in such a manner that all of the prophecies that have come before it all have been opened up and revealed in Him and in His person. And He is the fulfillment of everything that we need to know about God, need to know about salvation, need to know about the future, need to know about God's purpose for our life in this world now. It's interesting he says, it says, when they heard this,
they fell on their faces and were terrified. Thinking about everything that transpired in the chapter before this, thinking about all their pride and everything they thought they knew, and now here comes a voice from heaven, and suddenly they realized, wow, we don't know anything. I was thinking, you know, if God would come down and speak in this manner amongst us, we'd all be on our faces on the ground. And everything that we thought we knew, we would say we don't know anything as we ought to know it. They, they were terrified. You know, if it weren't for Jesus, that's all we have. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ and, what, and who he is and what he has accomplished, there would be nothing left for us than to be terrified. And we ought to be terrified because we have to do with an angry God who, who is angry with sin and angry with our rebellion. And yet with everything the way it was, with all of the deficiencies, with all of the mistakes, with all of their pride, they're flat on their face, and what do we read next? We read, But Jesus came and touched them. saying, Rise, have no fear. Brethren, if Jesus didn't touch us and didn't raise us up when we hit bottom, there'd be no hope for us. Jesus knew what was going on. Jesus knew this would be for their good the rest of their lives. Peter, we already looked at. John lives all the way to the end of the Isle of Patmos. James, first martyr. I wonder how many times he, how he was thinking about this very experience as he was going to his death and going to be martyred. Have no fear. Did they understand everything yet? No, they didn't understand. But they knew that Jesus was the one who had the authority to take away their fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. I was thinking about that. That that is so much our need today that we would see Jesus only. Not Jesus plus Moses, not Jesus plus the prophets, but Jesus only. And if we have Jesus, 
We have everything. We have him as the prophet to teach us like no one else can. We have him as the priest to lay down his life for us so that we could be restored into fellowship with God. We can have peace with God. We heard that last week. Peace with God, but then peace the peace of God would never be possible except for Jesus as that perfect priest who gave his life for us. And he's the king. He's the one with all authority. But what happened to Moses? What happened to Elijah? They're not important right now. They serve their purpose to bring us to Jesus only as our objective. Look unto Jesus. Look unto him, the author and the finisher of our faith. We must keep our eyes on Jesus or we're going to drift one way or drift another way and we're going to hear all kinds of messages that are going to make for so much confusion. You know, I was thinking, Jesus does this. Verse 9, he says, And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And I was thinking, well, why, why, why does Jesus tell them Say, don't tell the vision until I'm risen from the dead. How could they tell the vision? How could they point people to listening to Jesus when they weren't yet convinced that he needed to die and rise from the dead? They, they could not give the proper application to the very words they heard from the Father. There's a time and a place for things. And Jesus knew best when they would be able to testify to this exhortation in a way that would point to Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, and it would come forth with clarity in their message. And it must come forth with clarity in our lives, in our, in our message, too. But I was thinking about this subject. My greatest need and your greatest need is that we would hear what Jesus says. Don't we hear what Jesus said? We have the whole Bible. I thought we heard everything he had to say. And, and that's where this really hits home for me. Because in so many ways, even before I was saved, I would not hear and understand what Jesus says. And by way of application, I, I think there's probably who knows how many people here this morning that are not hearing what Jesus says. Jesus says, come to me. I will in no wise cast you out. If you're heavy laden and overborne, come to me. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Learn of me. Jesus says, come. 
And then I thought, you know, this is so real to me, the fact that they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And I didn't understand what Jesus was saying. I was so hindered by my hyper-Calvinistic upbringing that every precious promise that Jesus made to come, I didn't believe it. It was for somebody else. It was for the elect, and I didn't know whether I was one of the elect, so how could I take that promise to be for me? I didn't see that the free offer of the gospel is, is to all sinners to come to him. Look unto Jesus. Oh, brethren, it's amazing how much we can hear and yet not hear. How many lost people are here this morning that hear messages every week and think they can't come to Jesus as helpless as you are this morning. Some of you for years are waiting for a sign like the Jews wanted, another sign. Jesus came, he suffered, he died, he rose again. You can come to him. God be merciful to me, a sinner. He delights in saving sinners. If you don't come to him, you're going to be counted as one who treats the Father as a liar. The Father is a liar? Yes, because you don't believe the testimony that the Father gave of his Son, that in him you have eternal life. Do you want eternal life? Or do you want eternal death? There really are only two choices, eternal life or eternal death. Why would you think you cannot have eternal life when Jesus Christ is lifted up as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life? I was hindered 22 years, it was, before my eyes were open just to hear the simplicity of a Jesus who will receive sinners as helpless, as hopeless, as unable to do anything, as unable to meet any kind of qualifications to come. And what joy that brought. What love, what joy, what peace. But that's only the beginning. What Jesus says and his truth sets us free. And our prayer and our longing ought to be, please, Lord, show me more truth. What's What's binding me? What's hindering me? What's hindering my progress moving forward? It was many years ago, maybe four or five years after the Lord saved me, that another verse, another parable really hit home to me and had new meaning. I heard it for the first time in a, in a, in a right way. I, 
you know, the, the parable of the talents. I know I've shared that. That had just just that one parable. Hearing that has has changed the course of my life as a Christian. You'd say, how could that one parable change the course of your life? It will. It did. Because that parable of five talents and two talents and one talent came home with conviction that God has given all of us something that can be used for his glory. And not only are we responsible, but, but it's a privilege to use whatever he's given us, brother. And, and my hope is that we would not in this assembly be, be hindered by the hyper-Calvinism that would say, well, you need some other kind of sign before you can use what you think is little in a way that could glorify God. Leave it to God what he thinks about how much glory he gets if you feed widows or orphans or visit the sick or the afflicted or the helpless. The the Lord knows the values of things, and when it comes to the very end, we're going to say, well, what did we ever do? We didn't do much, much of anything. And and, and he's the one keeping track of it, brother. But let's not conclude that we can do nothing of ourselves. We can do nothing. That's true. But he has purposed, Jesus has purposed, that we, we would bear fruit for his glory, now, how's that going to happen? Oh, we're going to up our activity. We're going to do more things. We're going to send more people to the mission field. We're going to do more evangelism. Brother, unless we hear his voice in our hearts, unless the joy, the love, and the joy, and the peace of Jesus is growing within our hearts, unless the knowledge of who Jesus is is becoming more real to us, you know, what what, what good is it going to do? I know Judy and I have been talking a lot these last days about our grandchildren and our children. How how are we going to have a better effect on them? They're all getting older, and it feels like so often we're away, and so often even when we're here, we're not having the input in their lives, and... We were just talking about that this morning. But if our hearts are not filled with the love and the joy and the peace of God that comes from hearing Jesus day by day, then what kind of effect can we have on anybody for good? We can't. It starts with our own life in hearing from Jesus day by day, brother. If we don't sit at Jesus' feet day by day, and if our hearts aren't encouraged with a love and a joy and a peace, we're not going to do anybody any good. We're likely to bring we're likely to bring a negative effect as we seek to evangelize or do missions or whatever we do. But if the love, joy, and peace of Christ is alive in our soul, it's going to produce fruit and it's going to have a positive effect at home, in our families, and to the other side of the world. Brother, I'm thinking, Lord, 
I, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear Jesus. You know, it's been said before, there's probably great benefit if we would stay in the Gospels every single day, at least some time, so that we might grow in our knowledge of what? Grow in our knowledge of Jesus. Because we're not going to understand what he says if we don't know him better. It all goes together. What, what, what does he say in back, back in that chapter of Second Peter? Yeah, chapter 1. Look, look how he starts out in verse 2. May grace and peace, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to all us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us the precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of his divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of the sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and he goes on all the way down. Being for in these qualities yours and are if the if these qualities are yours and are increasing, you may they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, this is what I want. You pray for this for me, that I may see Jesus more clearly, that I may have a clearer knowledge of Jesus, that I may hear his voice more clearly, that I may hear his voice when he says, out of your comfort zone, Make this change in your life. Change your lifestyle this way. You can be useful, more useful for my kingdom if you give up this and you do that. Are we going to hear the voice of Jesus if we get our minds so wrapped up with our tradition? like these disciples. This is the box. I'm going to live in this box. And now I'm going to pray, Lord, bless me in this box. Help me prosper in this box. But don't take me out of this box. Don't take me out of my comfort zone. Don't put me on the street. Don't send me to another part of the world. Don't, don't just let me live this nice, comfortable American Christian sovereign grace life. No. Brother, we need to hear the voice of Jesus, and He will. He's going to take us out of our comfort zone. He keeps on taking us out of our comfort zone. Brother, I so desire a church where God is working in all of our hearts individually with so many very different 
talents and gifts that God has given, united together in what? In focusing on Jesus and how he would use our individual lives as part of the whole body, that we would move forward. We keep talking about the Moravians. I don't know how many times they came up. They came up last week again. Brethren, if we would listen to what Jesus says, he's going to move us. He's going to use us. And brethren, he will show us what things we have lacked in. He will show us what things are wrong in our lives. He will show us how the church can function better in a unified manner. There's, there's no secret that there's difficulties in the church. But what's the answer? The answer is to hear Jesus. He can lead us. But if we get our eyes off of Jesus and we don't hear what he says day by day, none of us are going to bear any fruit for his glory. And he's doing already so much. He's doing already so much despite of who we are. But that's his character. Look what he did with Peter. Look what he did with the twelve. He's doing the same with us, with all of our deficiencies. He showers his love and mercy upon us. And the message is still the same. Hear him. Listen to him. He'll guide us. Acknowledge him in all of our ways. He will direct our paths. Last very words of Peter. What were they? What are they? They're the very last verses. Very last verse. His last verse. Chapter 3, 2 Peter, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Father, you know all of our weaknesses. You know all of our limitations. Father, you've given talents. You've given gifts to your people in this assembly. You've called many here this morning out of darkness into your marvelous light. Father, would you help us to grow? Would you help us to move forward? Not stand still, not go backwards, but to go forward? Lord, please forgive us. In so many ways, we can be lifted up in pride like Peter and the others. We can think we know something when we don't. We don't know yet know as we ought to. Father, you want us to look forward with great expectation of what you will do, what you would do for your people for your kingdom. It's all for your glory, Father. You've saved us. You've united us in churches for the very purpose of bringing you glory, for the very purpose of finishing a work that is yet unfinished. So, Father, help us to love one another. Help us to help one another. Help us to encourage one another to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus.
Father, help us to encourage one another to pursue this love and joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit we may be so filled with hope. Hope to carry on the work to the end. Hope in the future return of Jesus. Lord, please help those who, who have a wrong understanding of what Jesus says when he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Please help them to see that Jesus is honestly inviting sinners to come. Please, Lord, own this day for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.